Sentire Media. Hello, you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 139, King Alphonse of Naples, 1435 to 1458. I would like to start this episode by sending out a huge thank you to listener Damien S., who saw it fit to send me his collection of books on the Italian Renaissance dating to 1900. Me and my daughter, who is also a book junkie, spent quite a while sniffing that old leather-bound book smell. It's really a wonderful, wonderful present, Damien, and I can't thank you enough. Then, before we start, a word from a fellow podcaster. Hi, guys. If you're hooked on Mike's blow-by-blow account of Italian history, I'd encourage you to check out my podcast, Anthology of Heroes. My name's Elliot Gates, and in each episode I walk through the life of a hero from a different era of time. Through knife-edge victories, defiant last stands, and epic final speeches, you'll learn about the lives of some of the most fascinating individuals to ever walk the face of the earth. Like Tekon Oman, a Mayan prince who held the line against Spanish conquistadors in a tale that's still famous in Guatemala today. While over on the tiny Mediterranean island of Malta, a 72-year-old Grandmaster Vallette held the line with 600 knights against 40,000 Ottoman invaders in what's remembered as the greatest siege of all time. Or up in Wales, Owen Glendore threw off the shackles of English oppression, rose up against the tyrannical king, and led the Welsh in the greatest rebellion in the country's history. All these stories and so many more are available right now on the Anthology of Heroes podcast, available on all podcasting platforms as well as Instagram. Hope to hear from you. Now back to you, Mike. Elliot has done an episode on a character we are going to mention today, so listen out for it and go and check out his podcast. And now, back to our story. We last left the Kingdom of Naples in 1442, when it fell under the influence of King Alphonse V of Aragon. But we didn't really mention how we had got to that situation. We know that Queen Joanna II of Naples died in 1435. She had first nominated Alphonse of Aragon as her heir, but had then changed her mind and nominated René of Anjou. Both now wanted to stake their claim. Also, the traditionally self-nominated overlord of the kingdom was the Pope, at the time Eugene IV, and he also wanted a say in the matter. Power actually lay in the hands of a regency council made up of ten barons and eight of the so-called popular class, meaning rich merchants and professionals such as doctors and lawyers and the like. This council decided in favour of René. He was actually a prisoner of the Duke of Burgundy at the time, Philip, so he sent his wife, Isabella of Lorraine, in his stead. Alphonse wasn't going to just sit and watch, so he took Capua and then laid siege to Gaeta. This was the siege that provoked Milan, who had their man in Gaeta, and Milan also controlled Genoa at the time. 
It was in the subsequent Battle of Ponza that Alphonse himself was captured, but then released by Duke Filippo Maria Visconti. An action which pushed Genova to throw off Milanese rule, since the Duke had freed their hated arch-enemy of Aragon. With Alphonse now ready to get back into action, in 1437 he decided to call in his favourite son, a bastard he had had from a noblewoman of Valencia, Ferdinand. That was the name of the son, not the woman, obviously. He would need the help. For now, Alphonse found himself embroiled in the thick of Italian politics. The opposition to Geneva was by now tradition, but the new alliance with Milan that he struck up meant that Alphonse found himself against Florence and Venice straight away. The Pope now put his two cents in on the side of René of Anjou, mostly because he needed the support of the French king against the Council of Basel. He brought in an army led by mercenary captain Giovanni Vitelleschi. With the odds stacked in this way, things started off quite well for René, but it didn't last. For starters, Alphonse, on the diplomatic front, managed to start peeling off the noble members of the regency and converting them to his side. Then, the Pope had a disagreement with his captain, who just up and left him, leaving him with nothing to show for the 500,000 ducats he had invested. At this point, another important mercenary captain, Francesco Sforza, in support of the Angevin cause, started to threaten Alphonse, who had to call in the help of Milan, who sent one of the other great mercenaries of the time, Jacopo Piccinino, to threaten Sforza's land in the Marche region and have him running back up to cover the damage. 1438 came around and three years after becoming king, René was released from Burgundy after paying a huge ransom and finally came on the scene and took control of whatever army he could still afford. Now, René was known as a very chivalrous ruler and he showed how exaggeratedly so he actually was. He challenged Alphonse to a duel the rules of which meant that it was Alphonse who could name the date. So, uncertain of the possible result of a pitched battle, Alphonse simply set the date for a month later, leaving him plenty of time to manoeuvre. And manoeuvre he did. By the beginning of June 1442, way after the set date for the duel, René found himself having lost his mercenary captain, Caldora, and besieged by Alphonse in Naples herself. Now, if you will cast your memories all the way back to episodes 4 and 5 of the Gothic War, you may remember that the Byzantine general Belisarius had taken the city of Naples by sending in men through the aqueduct and popping out into the city centre. Well, would you believe it? Alphonse must have read his Procopius and René not, for that is exactly what the Spanish king did. It seems that only René fought valiantly, with the Neapolitans by now realising which way the wind was blowing. Indeed, it seems that the whole affair was more confusing rather than bloody. René was forced to flee, and despite another short appearance in our story, he would never again pose a significant threat to Alphonse. 
the crown of Aragon, now also included the Kingdom of Naples. The recognition of Pope Eugene IV in 1443 made it official. Alphonse could now enjoy the tumultuous mess that was mid-15th century Italy with shifting alliances and wars, but with the main story being Milan on one side and Venice and Florence on the other, with a series of smaller states gravitating around these larger stars, and of course, the venture captains, the most important one being Francesco Sforza, who had a claim to the Duchy of Milan. With this house of cards set up, the gust of wind was the death in the same year, 1447, of both the Pope and the Duke of Milan, Filippo Maria Visconti. Everyone wanted to get their hands on Milan. Interestingly, the Visconti faction called in Alphonse himself, whom they saw as the best counterbalance to Venice and to Francesco Sforza. But our Alfie was no fool, and he was going nowhere near that hot potato. He didn't have the financial means, he didn't have the support in the north, and back in Aragon, they were already wondering what on earth he was doing fighting for the Kingdom of Naples, never mind the Duchy of Milan. Those were, of course, the Aragonese nobles. The Aragonese merchants were loving the new trade opportunities. What's more, the people of Milan did not want any of the above to rule over them and went on and declared a republic, the Republic of St. Ambrogius, the patron saint of the city. We'll make a long story short here, since we will be going into greater detail when we swing back up to Milan in quite a few episodes. We have a certain Borgia and a certain Medici family to talk about in the meantime, and I have a suspicion that we may have a few things to say about them. Just a feeling, of course. All we will say is that Alphonse held back, just making sure to set up an alliance with the Savoy to avoid the French sticking in their noses, and by 1450, Francesco Sforza was indeed Duke of Milan. Having opposed Sforza and not recognizing him now, Alphonse was free to make peace with Florence and an alliance with Venice, as well as understanding now enough about Italian politics to look for further insurance in alliances with lesser powers, such as Ferrara, Rimini and Piombino. No one had a chance to do much fighting in 1450 and 1451 due to bad harvests and the consequent bout of plague. But then an alliance of Florence and Milan and France, masterminded by Cosimo de' Medici, worried Alphonse to the point of starting up hostilities with Florence again, limited mostly to his son Ferdinand pillaging the Florentine territory. Cosimo de' Medici also managed to call in Alphonse's old enemy, René of Anjou. But here we see the importance of an alliance with Savoy, who managed to delay René and he arrived when peace was already in the air. This was also because by 1453 everyone had something else to worry about. Indeed, as we know well, it is in that year that Constantinople fell to the Ottoman Empire an empire that would stretch to the Balkans, and for Italy, that is way too close for comfort. On the 9th of April, 
1454, the Peace of Lodi, a small town outside of Milan, was signed by Milan, Florence, and Venice. Alphonse was not only not involved, but not even notified. But he didn't mind too much. The fact that he didn't mind showed how much the North-South divide had set in. The North and the South could sit on their respective sides of the Papal States and basically ignore each other. That's obviously an oversimplification, but let's say that by now, no one harboured any ideas of uniting the peninsula as the Holy Roman Emperors of the 12th and 13th century had tried to do. For now, there was peace in Italy. Well, at least the main bit, because that summer saw Genoa and Naples at it again. Alphonse would support the opposition to one Dodger of Genoa and then be friends when that opposition came to power and then the Dodger would be replaced again and Naples and Genoa would be enemies again. There was never an outright conflict, but Genoa at one point did send a fleet to harass the Gulf of Naples after Neapolitan ships had captured a Genoese vessel with goods worth 250,000 ducats on it, hitting the Genoese merchant republic right where it hurt. Meanwhile, the Peace of Lodi gave way to the Italic League, with base members Milan, Florence and Venice, but this time the Pope and Naples were invited. The Pope Nicholas V by now, said he would come on board as long as Alphonse did. Alphonse said he would come on board as long as Genoa, the Malatesta of Rimini and the Manfredi of Faenza didn't come on board. That was no skin off the noses of the founding three, so for a time, the majority of Italy was united in the Italic League. It was also the end of Alphonse's hostile activities on the peninsula. After fighting six wars in 16 years of reign, he was finally done. There was one little incident, which is a good example to show how really flimsy the whole league business actually was. One of the main mercenary captains we have mentioned at the time was Piccinino. He was let loose by Venice, who didn't need him anymore, and since there were no wars and so no work to be found, he decided to go down and pillage the Papal States a bit which was fine with Venice as long as he left them alone. As you can imagine, the Pope was not pleased about this at all. There was a new Pope, by the way. In 1455, the Cardinals had not managed to decide on a viable candidate. So, as was the practice, they chose an old, sick guy, hoping he would last a little, but not too long, so that when the next time come around, they could get their act together and perhaps make a better choice. The new chap chose the name of Calixtus III, his real name being Alfonso Borja, Italianized into Borgia. So, Pope Borgia asked for help and nobody was really into it, despite all the league premises, and they ended up just paying off Piccinino to go off and stop being naughty. Another thing that was really annoying Pope Calixtus was that not much was being done for the Ottoman situation, so he took up Nicholas V's idea of a crusade against the Turks. Alphonse in particular ummed and ahed and delayed as much as he could, but he did give a lot of support to an interesting character who went by the name of Skanderbeg. The gentleman in question was really named Georgi Castriotti, 
a local noble from what is today Albania. That is where the intro from Elliot of the Anthology of Heroes podcast comes into play. He has an episode on Skanderbeg, and I suggest you look it up. Going back to the Turkish question, we also had the victory of the King of Hungary over the Ottomans at the Siege of Belgrade in 1456, which set the European mind a little bit at ease for a while. The apparently unstoppable force of the Turks had been stopped. With some time to take a breather, Alphonse sorted out his son Ferdinand by marrying him to a Neapolitan noblewoman, Isabella Chiaromonte, showing that he was also required to have a certain regard for his barons as well as Italian politics after marrying off grandchildren to Milanese nobles. Evidently, Alphonse now felt that he had done enough and, at the age of 62, died on the 27th of June, 1458. He left his son Ferdinand with a stable kingdom that stretched from Spain through the Balears, through Sardinia to Sicily and all of southern Italy. The peninsula itself was going through a period of incredible unprecedented peace. The Ottoman threat had been put in check. What could possibly go wrong? Grazie mille. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the second half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Julia G, Justin E, Mary T H, Old John in Milwaukee, Orlando D, Kevin, Mark P, Marxist Leninist Sicilian, Mella, Michus Porchus, Mike M, Neville, Niels, Paradise, Patricia Kappa, Philip B, Roberta D, Rod L, Rodney N, Rudy F, Scott L, Sean M, Shelby, Stephen, Tap Dance Down Under, and TO5, and of course the tippy top, Maria Montessori, and Dante Alighieri level, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Rinat, David Oak, JW, Sen, and David A, and welcome aboard to the new Patreon supporters who are Lisa H, Justin E, and Connor T. Welcome, welcome, one and all. Remember, if you would like to have access to extra content or ad-free episodes, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash a history of Italy. And if you need any help getting that feed onto your podcast player, just send us an email, hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. And you can also send us an email just to say hello or make comments or have any questions about the podcast. Once again, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, arrivederci. Okay, so let's get the first meeting of the Italic League started, also known as the Super Cool BFFs Forever Club. Woo-hoo, yeah. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Okay, 
First point on the agenda: we need to agree that membership in the league means that if any member is attacked, then the other members have to come to their aid. In what way? Well, m- military support, of course. Ah, well, that's going a bit too far, don't you think? Well, what else could we do? Well, a nice, friendly letter of support can go a long way. I love to receive mail. Well, that would do no good at all if you're being invaded. Well, it would help you cheer you up. You're not taking a very positive position on this. But you're suggesting that a friendly letter could help us in case of an invasion. What about a friendly letter and a nice fruit basket? Ah,、oh, well, I do like fruit baskets. Okay, so let's write that in case of an attack on one member of the league, then the others will intervene militarily unless they don't feel like it, and then they can send a friendly, supportive letter as long as it's accompanied by a basket of fruit. Yes, good. With at least four different kinds of fruit. Well, yes, of course. What a great club. Okay, so next order of business: we need to think about extending the league. To the Pope and Naples. Oh, really? Those guys are such losers. Yeah, I know. But you know, we're only half of the peninsula, and it's better to have them on board in case they cause any trouble or anything. And look, here's Naples now. Hey, hey Alphonse. Alphonse. Oh, so now you're talking to me after totally ghosting me with the Treaty of Lodi. We never ghosted you. Didn't you get our letter? No. Well. We definitely sent one. Yeah, I mean,、um, are you sure you didn't get it? Well, I can ask. I may have been intercepted, maybe by those malatesa from Rimini or something. Those pigs! Yeah, yeah. We even sent you a lovely fruit basket. Ooh, I love fruit. You guys. Anyway, we want you to join our Italic League now. Really? Yeah, we also call it the BFFs Forever Club. Awesome! We should get friendship bracelets. Um, I guess. Yeah, man. Whatever floats your boat. So, you in? It depends. On what? Is Geneva joining? Well, we we hadn't thought about it. I don't want him. Why not? They were mean to me. They broke my boat, so they won't let me play with Corsica. Okay, so no Genoa. Okay. And no Malatesta. Why? You said they stole my invitation letter and fruit basket. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Oh, all those dastardly Malatesta was definitely them. And the Manfredia Faenza. Why them? They said mean things about me. What? What did they say? They said my armor makes me look fat. Well, you could stand to lay off the mutton a bit. What? Nothing. Just that Manfredia's a big twit. Out with him. Good. Right. Well, that's it then. We are all members of the Italic League, or the super cool BFFs forever. And from now on, any one of us who is in trouble will be helped by the other members, as long as they feel like it and it's not too much bother, and they don't change their mind. What a great league! Sentire media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts! Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. 
Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com. That's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.